All right, let's turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 11. And the title is Spiritual Fitness. And if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourselves toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach." So in verse 6, he begins by saying, if you instruct the brethren in these things. Evidently, the these things would be taking us back into the other verses where there were those who were saying, you can't eat this, you can't marry her, you can't marry him, because if you really want to be spiritual, you can't enjoy anything in this present world. And, you know, you know these things are not allowable. We talked last week about a biblical perspective of pleasure. And I hope that as you went through this week, you enjoyed your meals a little bit more. I pray as those taste buds were activated and like, wow, that tastes good. I hope, I, I hope you just were like, Lord, thank you. I mean, because food does not have to taste good. I mean, God could have created it so there's no flavor, no taste. Your taste buds, but, but he wants us to enjoy it. And, you know, the world around us, I pray that you enjoyed. And if you like, oh, man, I missed it. I just kind of blazed through another week. Well, you have another week ahead of you. The last couple of days, um, got back into town last night, um, around 9 o'clock, fl flew in, and um, we had a kind of an impromptu last minute, let's get down to the beach, and so the kids, all except for Tyler, he had, he had to stay um, there in Alabama getting ready for church, but um, they're all still down at the beach and stuff, so the kids came down, and the grandkids came down, and you know, for them... Um, although they've been to the beach before, they, didn't, they don't really have any recollection of it. So it was like the first time they were ever there. And to watch kids have fun is so much fun, isn't it? Just to watch them, it's like, look at all this dirt. Look at all this water. I mean, all this sand. I can just get dirty and clean. And then I can throw dirt and I can, you know, but not at me, you know. So all of this was going on and they were just 100 miles an hour in the water, out of the water, you know, catching a crab, killing the crab. I mean, all these things that little kids do. It's like, you know, like, okay, let's not kill them. Let's let them live, you know. But just could hardly focus having so much fun. And um, so Catelyn was going to take uh, Josie home and, and Colton, the two youngest, just to get a little break out of the sun. And they were getting tired. And uh, Micah, you know, was like, well, I, I don't want to go. And so they were all were leaving. And he kind of muttered under his breath, and I could hear it, and Whitney could hear it, and he goes, he goes, buy people that don't want to have fun at the beach anymore. <laughs> it's just like, he just was enjoying life. And I said to him, I said, Micah, I go, who made this? And he turned around, and he looked at me, and he goes, God. And I said, well, why don't you say thank you? And he says, thank you, God, for the beach, and just ran in, into the water again. That is how the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to enjoy this life. As we said last week, we ought to have more pleasure and we ought to do joy better than any other group of people on planet Earth because we are reconciled to the one who made it and we have freedom in the Lord to go out and have joy. 
and pleasure in the things that he made. And he says, hey, you'll do a good job if you instruct uh, the brethren in these things. But I want to take that thought and expand it out a little bit as our first point, is that we should give instruction. We're going to have six points here about being spiritually fit. If we're going to be spiritually fit, we must be those that are giving instruction and receiving instruction. And this is what makes for a good minister. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. These things have not happened yet, which means... The pastor's job and the instruction that should be taking place is not over. But as we go through this section of scripture, parents, I want you to be thinking about not only the, the, the house of God and how a pastor should conduct himself and elders and ministers should conduct themselves, how you should conduct yourself and the ministry that the Lord has given to you in children's ministry or home fellowship or however you serve the Lord. But I want you to think about this in the context of the church that's in your house as well which you've been walking out a little bit in a different way probably than you have previously. I hope that you are doing a good job with that. And how can you make certain you're doing a good job? Is by giving spiritual instruction. You know, for the church, when the pastor stands in front, he has one job to do, and that is to speak the things that the Lord has given to him. When Jeremiah was called into ministry... Look it up, Jeremiah chapter 1. He was nervous. He was afraid. The Lord says, don't worry about it. I'll put my words in your mouth. You will tear things down. You will build things up. But be careful that you only speak the words that I give you. I can remember just over 25 years ago, coming up on 26 years now, when we were making our way out here, that I read that passage. And I remember the Lord saying so clearly to me, he goes, You have one thing to say, and it's in a book I gave you. You have nothing else to say. You preach the word when you stand in front of my people, when you're in a counseling appointment, when you're in a small group, you give them my word. Your opinions are not needed. My word is needed. And I I felt such a charge um, and, and a warning by the Lord at the same time. And I believe this charge and this warning is valid for every person who handles the word of God is that we would instruct the brethren in the word of God. So this is true for me, but this is true for you. It's true for every pastor. And, and you know, I believe firmly that when I stand before the Lord, one of the things the Lord is going to say to me is, did you feed my sheep? Did you give them my words? I know I'm going to be charged with that, that question and being able to answer it. And to, by the grace of God and fear of the Lord in my life, this has been what we've sought to do, is to give you the word of God. And this is a charge that we have as parents, though, is to instruct our children. Don't leave the instruction of your children up to other people. You know, well, other people can teach my kids what to do. I just don't want to be found, you know, uh, pushing this on them. Well, let me tell you something. The world's pushing their stuff all day long, every day, and they spend billions of dollars to be good pushers of that information. We need to be those that are instructing our children. 
and being faithful to it. And I know, I mean, as I look out there, I see those of you that are doing that. I see those of you that have done it and your kids are walking. And I see those of you that have done it and their children are not walking with the Lord. And may they return. May they remember the instruction that they receive from you, dad, from you, mom, mom and dad, as you taught the kids and the ways they should walk. They've got to make their own decisions. They will make their own decisions. But while you are in that place to instruct your, your children, take advantage of it. Teach them the ways of the Lord. Not just through the things you say and what you read, but may they see the ways of the Lord in the way you live your life. The way you love your wife. The way you love your husband, the way you love the body of Christ, the way you celebrate the church, the way you rejoice in giving yourself away for the purposes and the cause of the kingdom. May they not hear the whining and the complaining that I've got to go serve or I've got to do this. May they hear the joy that is in our heart for following Jesus Christ because they will pick up on that and they will follow that as they see it in your life. Instruct your children of the dangers that are out there that threaten their faith. Work hard, Troy, to faithfully deliver the word of God to the flock. But not just Troy. All of us have a sphere of influence. All of us have a place to speak forth the word of the Lord. And it isn't just what you speak forth, but it's how you speak it forth. That we minister with grace, which does not undermine boldness. You can be pulled and you can be gracious at the same time. But there should always be that, that, that kind of undertow of grace, that no matter what's being said, you still feel the grace of God in that exhortation. You still feel that grace of God, even in the rebuke. Because you think about how the Holy Spirit speaks to you and ministers to you. When he convicts you of sin, you never once feel like running in the opposite direction. Condemnation will do that. You will do that to yourself. People around you will do that. But the Holy Spirit, he never sends you running away from the Lord. He always brings you back to the Lord. And there's that, that even in the rebuke that we receive from the Lord, when we, we uh, get off course, we feel the grace of God that's bringing us back to himself. So number one, make sure that you're instructing in the word of God. Number two, still in verse six, Nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. So number two is be nourished by the word of God. We need to instruct, but if you're going to instruct, you need to first be nourished. The word nourish here is in the a present tense, so it has the idea of a continuing process. You know, the false teachers that he dealt with in the opening verses were saying, you can't eat this, stop eat right now. End of, end of your enjoyment of food. But he kind of goes in the opposite direction, and he talks about the nourishment that we receive from spiritual food, and that this should be an ongoing process. It isn't, well, I went to church once. I read the Bible once. You know, Troy, you finished teaching the Bible. What are you going to do now? <laughs> We're going to teach it again. We're going to keep going through it. We're going to continually be nourished in the words of, and actually in the Greek, most of your translations probably have in the words of faith. But in the Greek, there's an article. So it's the faith. It's, it's the teachings of the Christian faith. That which embodies Christianity. 
They nourish us. They strengthen us. We have been um, taking the last week or so, a couple of weeks actually, to go through the essentials of the faith and just sending out three to five minute videos. And um, I'll just have to say, I noticed that some of you are more interested in the bloopers than you are the videos. <laughs> you got, which is fine because they're funny. But I encourage you, go to our website, go to Facebook and look at, we went through the essentials of the faith and we had fun doing them. And um, if you see those, yeah, we, we, we are serious, but we also, we goof off and we have fun. And, um, but this is what we need to be nourished in, the virgin birth. We need to be emerged in the atoning work of Christ upon the cross and the resurrection and the second coming. The essentials of the faith, they will nourish. And this is where we need to come to over and over again. But he says that we should be nourished not just by the words of the faith, but of the good doctrine which you've carefully followed. Presumably that good doctrine was that lifestyle, the instruction that Paul gave. And don't we all need that? To kind of double down on this point one more time, we not only need to hear the word of the faith, but we also need to follow other people's way of living out Christianity. What do we read in Acts chapter 2? And they continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine. Well, the apostles' doctrine was God's doctrine. It's the word of God. But they identified that doctrine with the way in which these men were living it out. And we all need men and women in our life who just, you look at them and they embody what it is to be a Christian. And so you see the kindness, you see the generosity, you see the sobriety, you see them having pleasure in this life and the things that God has made for them. You see them giving themselves away. You see how they handle their finances. You see how they handle sickness and crisis. You see how they handle when a spouse walks away. You see how they're handling their children that aren't walking with the Lord. You watch them. And we have these as lessons all around us of how to live it out. And Timothy carefully followed the pattern that was before him in the Apostle Paul. Find those people in your life. Find those people that say, this is how you live. This is how you do church. This is how you should minister to one another. I am thankful for those people that have been in my life, that are in my life, and the new ones that continue to come in that are able to speak to me about the way in which to walk out the Christian faith. But be nourished. Every minister knows this. You can't give away that which you don't have. Now you can stand and you can go through the motions, and many have and many do. You can go through the motions of the Christian faith and giving instruction. You can do this as a parent. You can say the right thing. But are you being nourished? Are you finding that um, strength, the nutrients that come from the Word of God, that come from your private worship, that come from prayer? This is what we need. This is why we gather here today is to be provoked by one another to love and good works. This is why we gather. We gather so with one voice, we as a company, a gathering of people, can declare the goodness and the greatness of the Lord. As you see, we don't have to have a building to be a church, right? <laughs> We've learned that, and it may be in a different way. We've had a fresh application of it. But this gathering... And I don't need the government to say essential or not essential. It's just their words. The word of God and the gathering of the people of God is absolutely 
the thing to do because the Lord has called us. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to, you know, throw caution to the wind under some unique circumstances and blow off the government. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I don't need them to tell us that this is important because the word of God tells us that this is important. And we need this to be nourished and to be encouraged and to be strengthened. You can go through the motions and you can see some effect and you can see things taking place, but you know whether or not you're nourished. It's an interesting thing when you talk about being nourished. But each of us knows what it is if you've had it happen. You know what it's like to be in the Word of God, and it's just like it washes over you. It, it just excites your spiritual mind, if you will. The truth hits you, and you're like, yes. <clears throat> That's how I need to walk. That's what I need to change. That's what I need to do. It's hard to put it into terms, but if you've had it happen, you know what it is. That moment where you are being nourished. I'm choking. Let me get nourished with some water. <coughs> the Bible has a lot to say about the nourishment that comes from the Lord. Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Listen, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. The judgments, the commandments, the word of the Lord is sweeter than the sweetest thing they knew in their day. It will give you energy. It will make it sweet. And I pray, if you, the word of God has lost its sweetness to you, first of all, I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're listening. You're in the right place. Because hopefully this will stir up your appetite. Afresh for the word of God. But it's a warning. If you can take or leave your study in the word of the Lord, not just church time, your own private study. Job 23, 11 and 12, he said that the word of God was more important to him than his necessary food. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than necessary food. Job was saying, I'd rather hear a word of wisdom from God than sit down and have dinner or lunch or breakfast. I can do without that food, but I can't do without the spiritual food. Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. The word of God will rejoice your heart. Are you in a funk? Is there a cloud over you? Get into the word of God. Let him speak to you. Let him encourage you. Or 1 Peter 2, 2. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. How are you nourished? How do you grow? By the word of God. Be nourished in it. So that's our second point. Nourished in the word of God. Number three. Avoid being sidetracked, verse 7, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. I'm not going to rehash this. As we've gone through there, we've taken some time to talk about what the old wives' fables were, but, but basically it's debatable things that were really interesting and really exciting to fight about that nobody could really draw any conclusion to. It's not founded in the Word of God. It was just a speculation about things. And I'm not saying there's never a place to sit around and just talk and have an edifying conversation and wonder about things. But listen, those are the minors. And if, our, if we begin to major in those things rather than in the doctrine, in the, the Christian faith, and those godly examples of the way people are living, then we're missing out. 
And so be careful about being sidetracked. For them, they were dealing with that. You know, the church is always having to say no to things that come in to sidetrack them. Okay, so this is 2020. Do you guys remember 20 years ago, right? The Y2K? Some of you don't even remember that. You're too young to remember that. But remember the Y2K crisis? And this was such a big deal. My question is, how much of a big deal was it really? The only big deal was a guy who spent way too much money on the generator and all those beans while his wife was saying no and had to answer at the first minute of the year 2000 as to why the power was still on and he had spent all of his money. That was the crisis, okay? The crisis was the pastor who took all of the church's money and went out and bought all kinds of supplies because the Y2 crisis was coming. The crisis was the church that named themselves the Y2K church. And these are the things that happen. You know, it's like all the, when, the, when we go from 1999 into 2000, none of the computers are going to know what to do, and they're all going to fail, and we're going to have power, and, you know, the sky's going to fall, and Chicken Little's been telling us that the whole time, and it's true this time. And what happened? Nothing. Now, was it because people paid so much attention? I don't know. I don't know these things. Maybe. But I know that there was a temptation to get the church off into this thing and put all of her attention and all of her energy on it. Uh, there were people that just were, they were storing up all kinds of grain and all kinds of water and all kinds of stuff. And, and then, of course, they got all their guns and all their bullets to protect those that would be in hunger and need it, which is a very Christian thing to do. And I don't think so. So here's the thing. It's not to say that there's never a crisis, that we should always ignore the things that are going on. Clearly, we're paying attention to what's going on right now. But we, we need to not be led by these things. The church has a clear mandate of what to do and what to say and what to talk about and where to put her energies. And that's what we're to do. And if we're going to be spiritually fit, we have to make certain that we do not get sidetracked what priority does the word of God and the church of Jesus Christ have upon your life? Is it a side issue or is it the issue? Number four, still at the end of verse seven on into verses eight and nine, we see that we are to exercise or train ourselves to godliness. The word exercise there in the middle of verse seven is the Greek word gymnazo. What English word do you think we get from this Greek word? Gymnasium, gymnast, some of you said. And then that's exactly it. It, it literally means to exercise, to, uh, to, to put forth vigorous training and control, to engage in that, to learn how to control your body, to control your movements, your balance, and all the rest. And when we think about athletes, you know, the one thing about them, of course, there's usually a giftedness that they have. But they also have taken that giftedness and, and that athletic ability they have, and they have fine-tuned it. And so they have incredible balance. They have credible, incredible precision with how they move about and to accomplish things. And they, they become trained. They are exercising themselves. And that's the word that's used here. Again, this is a present Imperative, which means that we are to be in a continuous action of exercise. 
There never comes a time in the Christian walk where you say, eh, that's good enough. That's enough. I, I've worked on, you know, this faith thing. I've worked on this love thing enough. I've worked on patience. I'm as patient as I'll ever get. That is not true. Because the Spirit of God dwells within you, and he's working in you to make you a kinder, more generous person, a more loving person, a person who declares the faith more boldly, who has a, a heart that, that breaks more quickly over the need of people around you. We need to be training ourselves. If you lack compassion, then train yourself in the compassion of Jesus for the people around you. This is how we are called to walk. This is how we are called to live, is to exercise, to train ourselves to godliness. When you think of an athlete, and you know, um, athletics was a favorite metaphor of the Apostle Paul. The Olympic Games, the Corinthian Games, the Olympic Games, they were a big deal in their day. And he often refers to them, like he refers to a soldier or a farmer. But he often goes to the af um, athletic illustrations, and he pulls into their mind this idea of those that are training themselves and trying to learn how to control their body with such precision that they rise to the top. And this is how we are supposed to be as it relates to godly fear and godliness. We should be trying to fine-tune our heart for the Lord. What is godliness? It's fear and love mingled together, which causes piety within a man or a woman of God. I love the Lord, and it compels me to follow him. I fear him, and so it warns me of going my own way. This is what the Lord desires from our life, is that we would be well-trained in godliness, not worldliness. You know, you can get to heaven, and you can say, I don't know a thing about sports. I don't know a thing about music. I don't know a thing about this, you know, trade or this skill or whatever. But the one thing that all of us have been commanded to continually give our attention to is godliness. We are to be, if you will, professionals when it comes to godliness. It is right for the world to look at your life and the people you work with and your neighbors and my neighbors, those we interact with in business, and expect to see something that stands out as being so different. We should be as a fragrance of Christ. Whether they worship him or not, whether they appreciate him or not, our conduct should remind people of Jesus. That's what they should see when they see us. And so, exercise yourself to godliness. Get involved in your regular devotions. Get involved in regular church attendance. I'm not making a cheap shot for those of you who don't feel like you can return just yet. Listen, you are fine doing what you are. Unless you are just overcome with fear and you are gripped by fear, then we need to talk. We need to encourage. We need to work through that. But if you are making a conscious decision, I need to distance myself, I'm not making a cheap shot right now. This is just a general statement that I give at any time. Church needs to be a priority in our life. How much? So much more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. We need to be willing to endure hardships. We need to start serving. Get involved in a home fellowship. And he says at the end of verse 8, he says, having the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. In other words, as you train yourself and discipline yourself and exercise yourself to godliness, you're not going to miss out on this life. You know, when an athlete does well in their sport, 
and they finish that line, the, that contest, or they cross the finish line, or whatever it is, and they've done their very best. And you're to talk to them at that moment and say, now don't you regret all of the hard work? <laughs> They're going to say that. They're going to say, I don't regret it. I say it was all worth it for this moment, right here, right now, to have you know, done well in this activity, this contest, to have ran well. I feel so good about every one of those sacrifices I've made. Well, what did Jesus say? I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more what? Abundantly. Having the promise of the life that now is. You are promised an abundant life as you train yourself and exercise yourself to godliness. You're never going to regret following Jesus. And in the life to come, eternal life. And so we need to make cer certain that we are exercising or training ourselves in godliness. Number five, winding it down here, verse 10, for to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, but we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Endure hardship, point number five. If we're going to be fit spiritually, we have to endure the hard things that come our way. Paul says that he labored. The word labor here is where we get our English word copious from. So the, the idea of that Greek word in the day Paul used it was to exert oneself physically, mentally, or spiritually. And all three should be the case. It speaks of having hard toil, to strive, to struggle. Now here's the thing. Sometimes that sounds a little strange to our ears. It's like, wait a minute. We're not saved by works. And you're right, we're not. So we're not talking about earning salvation. We're talking about how we live out salvation. We're talking about the, the athlete who pours themselves out and they strive, they agonize to accomplish the task that is at hand. And this is how we are to be as Christians, striving, toiling, laboring to get the job done. But we don't just toil, and we don't just labor, but we also suffer reproach, he says. That is to be mocked, to be made fun of. Not everybody's going to applaud your efforts in the Christian faith. And some of you know that all too well. You deal with it all the time. But putting forth this effort, how do we balance this out? My effort versus not walking in my own power. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I cannot read that without thinking about Popeye. I'm sorry, I grew up watching Popeye. So, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Look, listen, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. We labor and we strive and we agonize with the grace that God gives us to do it with. So in the midst of the hard task, in the midst of the, the conflict you feel in your flesh, your flesh, you're saying, God, give me the grace. May this not be an effort of my own will. I want your grace to be manifested in this act, this deed, this walk that I'm living out. This is how we're supposed to do it. Now we read there that the Lord is the Savior of all men. Jesus doesn't just save Americans. He doesn't just save Westerners. He saves all men. It's funny. People often say, well, you know, Christianity is a Western religion. <laughs> uh, wrong. Uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was a Jew. 
Everybody who wrote the New Testament, they lived over in the eastern part of the world. It came from there, and it spread out to the world, and it has had a huge influence in the West for sure. But now, actually, what's happening is going from the West, and it's, it's now the southern hemisphere that's growing faster in faith and Christianity and salvation than any other place in the world. So that global... Uh, focus of Christianity once in the East moved to the West. It's now shifting down into the South. We're in the West. It's, I mean, let's run our race. Let's do the best we can. Let's exercise and train ourselves to godliness. But he's the Savior of all men, not just those that are living in one particular place. So the gospel goes out to all people. Yeah, but not me. Especially you. Especially you. The Lord wants to redeem you. Yeah, but my life... If you knew who I was listening right now, you would never let me into your parking lot or into the church. Yes, we would. Because that's who we used to be. All of us used to be people that were not right. All of us used to have a, a, a penchant for living for self and treating others wrongly. You are welcome. If you're ready to follow Jesus Christ, you are welcome in our midst. We will love you and we will celebrate the change that God has made in your life. And we're not going to try and hide you. We'll, we, we, like the Lord, we'll hold you up as a trophy of his grace that's changed and transformed your life. Salvation for you. But you just got to ask for saving. The Savior saves those who call upon him. And if you haven't called upon him, he's not going to drag you into heaven by the back of your neck, scruff of your neck and say, come on, get in here. You must call upon him. So he is, this, he is the only way for all people to be saved, but those who are being saved, he emphasizes, especially those who are being saved. We are the ones that are the recipients of this. It's a full life. We are saved people. And so we have to endure hardships. Our last point there in verse 11, these things command and teach. So it's kind of like the first point, but I want to speak more here about the authority with which we speak. Notice what he says. These things command and teach. Don't make suggestions, Timothy. As you, get, as you take the faith and the good doctrine that you have carefully followed, don't take these and put these out there as suggestions. Command that people walk in these things. Now, you cannot force people to walk in these things. And sometimes people have taken this and they've misapplied it and they've misunderstood it and they thought that they could threaten people with a gun or a sword or, you know, any other, you know, means. And it's like, if you don't do this, you're, you know, this terrible thing is going to happen. You can't force somebody to follow Jesus. Oh, but we should persuade them. And we should do our very best as we command them to walk in the ways of the Lord. So again, mom and dad, you're not putting following Jesus out there as some suggestion. If you're going to command and teach, then there must be a clarity in your own heart and life and mind about those matters. Listen, I'm not a perfect parent. I don't want to pretend like I was. You can talk to three people that will tell you I was not a perfect parent. But you know, one thing that we tried to do, Rebecca and myself, was to have real clarity about who we were, the way we were going to do family, and the way we were going to walk out the Christian faith. Now, I know some of you, you've done that, and it, your kids are not walking with the Lord. The story's not over. Let's keep praying for them to return. 
But there should be a gentleness with which we command and teach our children. You know, there are, you know the, the plan for, for the Warner family was, we're going to church. You're like, yeah, but you're the pastor. Listen, that's the way I was brought up in my house, and that's the way I walked out raising my children. It's the example that was my mom and my dad put down for me. You know, my kids were going to be in church. They were going to be taught. They were going to serve. They were going to be at the prayer meetings. And, and I just, listen, I'm not trying to tell you what your weekly schedule needs to be like, but I'm telling you, you've got to be authoritative in your homes. You've got to be clear in that guidance and the direction. So for us, Sunday night was prayer night, and we were going to prayer. We were going to come. My kids came from the time they were little, little, all the way through to the time they, they moved out of the house. If you're in the house, we're going to pray. Yeah, but I've got this to do tonight. You can do it before. You can do it after. But we're going to pray because that's what we do. It was a clear line of instruction that Rebecca and myself had. We didn't just kind of like, what are we going to do tonight at Sunday night? We had conversations about what we were going to command and teach, how we were going to pattern for our children how to walk with the Lord. So we're going to be a church. And, you know, it's like, yeah, but, you know, our kids do sports and they do bands. My kids did all of that. They did football. They did soccer. They did cross country. They did, you know, softball. They did, you name it, they played the sports. They were in the, you know, the choirs. They were in the bands. They were in advanced classes. And so when you, some of you will remember, my kids came walking into church with their cleats and their pads on. They came walking in smelling like they'd been running around on a field because we made extra effort to let them engage in those things. But we're going to be here. Yeah, but my kids got to study. And that's why we stayed up late on certain nights to get the studying done. Because we were training our kids and ourselves to godliness. And there was sacrifice that had to be made. You're gonna, you will make your own choices on what that looks like in your family. But here's my, my strongest exhortation. If you don't have a plan, it's not going to work out. If you don't have a training regimen that you're going to walk out in your home for your kids and it changes as they get older, I can pretty much guarantee you you're going to miss the target because you're not aiming at it. And it's not easy. And you're, sometimes the enduring hardships is going to be from your kids when they are protesting what you're asking them to do. So listen, as a pastor, all of these apply to me. That's what the, the interpretation is. But the application, it's for all of us as we minister and as we serve. So what are those points again? Number one, give spiritual instruction. Number two, be nourished by the word of God. Number three, avoid being sidetracked. Number four, train yourself in godliness. Exercise, gymnazo. Number five, endure hardship. And number six, minister with authority. Not being mean. Not, it's not that you, oh, I'll be mean for Jesus. I got it. No, don't be mean for Jesus, okay? Be kind and bold and clear like Jesus. This is, this is the way that we walk. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your instruction and your guidance that you give to us. You are clear, and you are kind, and you are authoritative. 
And Lord, we appreciate that and we need that. So Lord, even today as we have come to your word and studied it, we've admonished one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We have prayed and called upon you. We have fellowshiped. We have walked in our spiritual gifts. I pray today that we are all really nourished. We just really sense your spirit speaking to us and teaching us and instructing us on the way to live out this Christian faith and to walk in the the local gathering called Calvary Chapel Lynchburg and how to walk in the, the churches in our homes. Lord, help us to do this well. Help us to walk faithfully before you. While we're praying here, I just want to ask you all, maybe you've become sidetracked in the faith. Set the focus again. Maybe you know exactly what the training looks like. I mean, you know, you can feel... You can feel the spiritual burpees right now that you're supposed to be doing that you're not. You become, you become flabby spiritually. Doctrinally, things are just not where they're supposed to be. Oh, you've got your excuses, and they work real good. But you know, when you, whenever you sit before the Lord, whenever you're instructed by the Lord, whenever you're just focusing on the things of God, it, it gets real clear what you're supposed to do. All I can tell you to do is run in it. Go for it. Toil. Parents, I just, I've been praying for you. As I've been preparing this message, I'll continue to pray for you. But you got to lead. Be kind. Be generous. Be clear. Answer the objections. Work through the difficulties. Give yourself away. Let them see you sacrificing yourself. Do all that you can to manage the sports and the academics and all the rest put yourself out so you can make these other spiritual things a priority in their life you're not going to regret it you will not regret it now maybe you're here and you are not one that is saved and enjoying the good of this life and you have no hope of the good of the life to come the eternal life I just want to remind you and tell you that Jesus is calling you and I encourage you to come it's not difficult. Simply say, I'm done doing it my way. Save me. And that Savior, Jesus, he will save you as you call upon him. And he will change you and he'll transform you. And you'll watch your life begin to take the shape and the form of godliness, which is another way to say, you'll start looking more and more like Jesus each and every day. That's the goal. We're not trying to be some kind of, you know, spiritual you know, ascetic monk living in the desert. We're trying to look like Jesus. That's our goal. And to treat others like that as well. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. Thank you that when we call, you answer and that you don't hold back. Amen.